Today's reading is Luke chapter 12, verses 49 to 53. Uh, You can find it on page 738 of the Pew Bibles. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. For now, on there... Uh, From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. So I uh, I don't know how you feel when you hear a passage like this. If you uh, open your Bibles to page 738, the Pew Bibles to 738, you can follow along as we work through this text. And you'll see when you do that, that the NIV has a section heading which says, not peace, but division. Not peace, but division. And I don't know about you, but I'm really tired of division, right? We divide as a country during the elections, half are thankful and optimistic about the result, and half are disappointed and fearful. Go back on an election before, and the reverse is true. Division everywhere. We divide over geography. Do we live in the city, or are we rural? We divide over our education levels, those with and without degrees. We divide over race, economic status, gender, sexual orientation, even age. You know, I'm a boomer. Some of you are Gen Xers. Our security, our relationship, our finances, they all feel so shaky. Do we really want something else to divide over? And is this really the Jesus of the Bible? We're just looking at the moment in the book of Luke. So if we go back to Luke 1, remember the song of Zechariah? John the Baptist's dad, he's mute. And then when John the Baptist is born, he, he does this magnificent song, the Song of Zechariah in chapter 1. And the last line of that is, when they're talking about the coming of Jesus, to guide our feet in the paths of peace. Luke 2, the angels are singing to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Luke 7, do you remember the woman who breaks the alabaster glass and washes Jesus' feet with the perfume and her hair? Uh, She's seen as a sinful woman. There's implications that she might be a prostitute. Jesus forgives her, and then when there's an uproar amongst the Pharisees, he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. One chapter later, Jesus is on his way to to help a dying dying child. And a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years touches his cloak and is healed. He turns around and talks to her. And at the end of the conversation, he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Chapter 10 of Luke. He sends everybody, 72 disciples out. He sends them to all the houses and all the villages of, uh, in the surrounding area. 
And the, he says, when you arrive in a town, when you arrive in the house, the first thing to say is, peace to this house. And this is calming to me. This is reassuring. This is the Jesus that I know and love. And so we find ourselves here with two choices. We could go and we could rip page 738 out of our Bible. We could do that now if you want to. Or we're going to have to dig in and deal with it. Now, if you decide that you want to rip out to page 738, you'll also need to rip out Matthew 12, John 5, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Hebrews 9, Revelation 20, and 1 John 2, and that was when I stopped looking for passages on judgment and fire. And you'll also have to deal with Revelation 22, where it says, don't add or remove anything from Scripture. And do you know what the curse is for adding to Scripture? It's the plagues they talk about in Revelation. And you know what the curses are for removing them? You get cut off from the tree of life. So probably not a good idea that we rip it out of the Bible. So it looks like we're stuck with dealing with it, dealing with our angst, with our internal consternation, our unsettled hearts as we think about this Jesus who's come not to being priests, but division. And we're going to see that Jesus' coming has triggered a crisis. Jesus' coming has triggered a crisis. And we'll look at it in two sections, sort of divided a little bit like this. I'm going to pull a little bit from each. But basically, verses 49 to 51, I have come, and verses 52 to 53, to bring fire on the earth or to trigger a crisis. And we're going to actually look at them in reverse order. We're going to look at the crisis first. Verse 49a, I have come to bring fire on the earth. Now, on the earth is important because we're looking here at the divisions that happen in a family. But when we look closely here, we see that the family is a highlight. The fire is actually on the earth. It's a cosmic act. Now, fire is a biblical symbol of judgment. And in fact, Jesus makes this clear himself in, uh, in verse 51, where he says, Do you think that I've come to bring peace? No, I tell you, but division. Judgment that brings division. He's saying, I've come to bring judgment on the earth. I'm going to shake things up. I'm going to divide things. But then he goes on and says, but it's not just some big cosmic thing that happens out there. It's personal. It's not just out there. It's also very, very close to home. I'm going to read verses 52 to 53, and we see just how close to home this judgment, this cosmic upheaval, this shaking is. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The shake-up is from the cosmic to the person. There is here an invisible line that cuts right across everything, right through our families, I would say right through the, the cosmic world, our nations, our communities, our families, and as we'll see, even ourselves. Now, we've already said 
that the ground we stand on is fairly shaky. And we mentioned some of these. In the US, we talked about the political, the economic, and the racial tension. But the division is here. Do we really need another crisis? Do we need another uh, form of division or judgment or, or sense of things going wrong? Living in the USA is already a shaky proposition. Now, what about globally? So I, I learned something interesting this week, that the definition of a war, a major war, is when more than 20,000 people are killed within a year. So there are three wars in the year 2022. And they were in Myanmar, which surprised me, Ukraine and Ethiopia. There are also such things as minor wars. I didn't know that. 17 countries had minor wars, and that's when between 1,000 and uh, 10,000 or 20,000 people um, are casualties. And then they have what's called, if it's less than 1,000, if it's a war that where less than 1,000 people die, it's called a minor conflict or skirmish. And that, in this case, there were 43 countries in the world that were involved in a minor conflict or a skirmish. So 63 countries in the world last year were either having a major war, a minor war, or a skirmish. 63 countries had military conflict and were in upheaval. Now, there's division here. Do we need another crisis? Do we need something else to come and mess this up even more? We're living in a world that's already shaken. Jesus says that it's even worse than that global or national mess-up, that his judgment will come and affect us intimately and personally. Now, we know a little bit about personal judgments, I think. We all have some sort of foretaste or understanding about that, what it's like to be under the microscope. I know in our family, this week was midterm exams at high school. That's a form of evaluation, a judgment. Are you up to standard? Are you good enough? We're going to put under the microscope what you know. Are you going to walk out of here feeling okay? Are you going to feel judged and condemned? Another form of judgment is the tax audit. I don't know if any of you have been through a tax audit. It's a pretty scary thing. Are you going to be declared legitimate? Or are you going to be declared illegitimate? Are you going to be declared a rule breaker or a good citizen? Another form of judgment that uh, we experience are performance reviews at work. Or some of you who may be divorced and then have to come into a community, am I going to be judged? Am I going to be condemned? Is there going to be any understanding here? Or what about the, the judgment that happens at the annual health checkup? Oh dear. Has my cholesterol gone down? That's the least of my problems. What's going on with my whatever body part it might happen to be? What are those blood tests going to show? There's a sense where we're... Uh, we're being, we're experiencing a, a, a sort of a micro judgment. And of course, there's death, the final judgment, right? We don't escape these things. All of these trigger crises. They create ex existential angst. They shake the ground we stand in. Do we really want more judgment? Do we really want more division in our world? More shaky ground. Do we really want that? Do we want more judgment, more shaky ground? Now, at this point, I'm hoping you're going, ah, there's a mistake in your logic. See, there's what's called in rhetorical terms, in rhetoric, a false equivalence. 
When I say, do we want more judgment, more shaky ground, when I compare the judgment of God to the judgment of the mess and the sin in which we live, and I equate them, I'm making a false equivalence. It's like if I came home and said, you know what, go to the pet store, buy me a carnivorous feline, and I'm thinking you're going to come home with a little pet kitten, and you come home with a jaguar. There's a false equivalence there. They're not the same thing. Or if someone says, as I'm changing the oil in my car and a little bit falls on the ground, oh my gosh, you spilled some oil. That's a little bit like the deep water horizon spill in the Gulf. That's a false equivalence. They're not the same thing. God's judgment and division is not the same as the judgment and division that we pour out on each other through our own brokenness and sin. His leads to an unshakable foundation. His fire on earth leads to a cosmic cleansing. Rather than adding to the chaos, it is the antidote to it. His shake-up is cleansing house. Another way of thinking about this is a surgeon. When I was 30, I was diagnosed with a tumor on my kidney. I was playing squash a lot, and I had this strange lump in my groin that wouldn't go away. And they tested it, and they said it was fine. And eventually, I had an ultrasound, and they discovered that the growth in the kidney, the muscle that goes to the groin, was over the growth in the kidney. And at that time, I don't know if it's true now, it was many years ago, there was no treatment other than to remove that tumor. The tumor, the cancerous tumor that you have on a kidney is a fatal diagnosis if it's not cut out. And so the surgeon put me on, uh, on the gurney, cut me way open from one side to the other, cut out a big section, removed the tumor completely from my body. That's a type of judgment, right? Removing the bad cells from the good cells. It's a type of division. It's a healing division. I say thank you to the surgeon. Thank you for the judgment you did on the cancerous cells. Thank you for your healing judgment. Or if you think about what it is to have clean water. It's the filter which separates the toxins from our from our drinking water from dirty rink. This is a type of division. It's a purifying division. And any of us who enjoy drinking clean water, we say, thank you, filter, for that purifying division. So the coming of the Lord, then, is this type of judgment. It removes sin. It heals and it purifies a broken creation. Now, do you want to get rid of the shaky ground? Do you want to end the wars, the political factions, the racism, the existential angst about exams? Poor performance reviews, divorce, health issues, death. Do you want to deal with all of that? I do. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In all your fiery judgment, come. Heal us, purify us. Heal our country, purify our country. Heal this world, purify this world. Heal our families, purify our families. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Heal our hearts, purify our hearts. Now, 
if you're thinking that I'm confusing this fiery judgment with something else, I'm going to read to you one of the few passages about judgments that I didn't quote in the introduction. This is actually on page 853, it's in Hebrews 12, and I want you to listen carefully. It's talking about Jesus when he, in his first coming, and then the implications of his second coming. This is Hebrews 12, verses 26 to 29. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The word once more indicates removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably and with reverence and awe. For God is our consuming fire. For God is our consuming fire. So something here is going on which is taking away all that chaos, all that mess, all that brokenness and refining it into an unshakable kingdom. And that's God's consuming fire of judgment. So let's move on to the second piece. I have come. I have come to bring fire on the earth. Now we notice in the Hebrews passage that there are two comings here. There's the first shaking of the earth when Jesus is on the cross, and then there's the second at the second coming. The heavens and the earth will be shaken at that point. And our world is in the midst of, is in between these two comings. We're in the midst of the healing and the purifying judgment of God. And it began with his first coming and we completed at his second coming. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at the story of John the Baptist. We looked at him baptizing with water as an outward sign of cleansing which pointed to the inward sign of washing and cleansing that happens with the Holy Spirit. The cleansing is happening in our hearts. It begins in the hearts, but eventually it will take on the whole of creation. And this is made possible by another baptism that Jesus references here in this text. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I am under until it is completed. So all this is made possible by Jesus' baptism, not in water, but baptism of the blood of the cross. Imagine living every day with that weight ahead of you, hanging over you, on your shoulders. No wonder he wants it to be over. Now, Jesus, we have to realize, is not, and I sometimes think that in our heads we get into this place, he's not some sort of tragic teacher whose life was cut short, who was doing a great job, and then three years into his ministry, it was all over. His, his, he didn't face his death calmly. The fire of judgment falls on him. All the fire of judgment that should fall on us falls on him. This is not a tragedy this is the greatest victory a king has ever had. A king went to war against sin and brokenness and won. This is the way God designed it to be. Now, if you see the structure of Luke, this becomes clear. The first half of Luke is about defining who Jesus is, putting him in the place and the context of history and making it clear 
that he is both man and the son of God. The second half of Luke really begins in chapter 9. And verse 51 is the pivotal point. It says, at that time, resolutely he set out for Jerusalem. What it means there is he set out on the path to the cross. He set out on the cosmic work of judgment and sin and the beginning of the purification of creation. Yeah, now it does. It triggers a crisis. We're either for him or we're against him. There's a line of judgment and division that runs right from the base of the cross and it divides all of creation. It's an invisible line that divides our world, our nations, our families and our hearts. We're either for him or we're against him. Now in this passage, it might be tempting to say, oh, God is not for families. Look what he's doing. He's ripping these families apart. But God is for families. God is very much for families. Genesis 3, he says, for this reason you'll leave your mother and father to form another family. Keep on going and making families, having kids. He's all about building families. It's the very first institution that he set up. The next one was nations, and that was because man messed things up. And then the final one was the church. They're really the only institutions that God formally ordained in Scripture. So God loves families and he wants them to thrive. But families don't all love God. And hence, dividing lines run through families. Now we can pick the easy things here, right? We can go and say, oh, if someone becomes a Christian in a Muslim context, there's a clear divide and that person might be ostracized. But it doesn't just happen in those places that really aren't part of our culture. It happens in our culture too. Families bring in all sorts of baggage and stuff which isn't related to God. All sorts of idolatry. All sorts of hard expectations for their children which aren't put there by the Holy Spirit. Why aren't you going into medicine or law or business? Why aren't you or why are you getting married? Why don't you or why do you have to marry a Christian? When are you going to give me grandchildren? We push values that we really shouldn't be on our children, that aren't really from God. Now, that permeates into all sorts of places. We sort of look the other way when our children do things which are not quite in line with God in order to be successful. When they prioritize their security or their money because we want them to be successful. It's even harder sometimes to be aligned with God when it comes to parenting than it is with our own lives. So don't Christians do this to their family as well? Yes, they do. The dividing line goes through the heart. And we need to be convicted of this. Idols of the Christian heart abound, and we all need that refining fire. Now, we should neither set ourselves up then as the ultimate healer, nor as the final judge of anyone. So as we're functioning in the world, and we find people draw those lines, they have problems, they say that our faith and the way we live out our faith is, is causing them strife, causing them angst, causing them to find our values to be offensive, 
then we should not be turning to them and responding with the same sort of coercion and manipulation that we might be receiving from them. We should be moving towards everyone in love, even towards a world that rejects and oppresses us. This is not a military conflict. This is not a fight to be had in ways which are destructive and coercive and against, against the way that God relates to us. Division does not have to be like that. We can turn the other cheek. We can give our cloak. Paul, in fact, in one of the letters, when, the, uh, when he's giving advice to women who are married to men and not Christians, his advice is stay. Do whatever you can to stay. Don't pull away. Now, if they refuse to let you worship God, then it's okay to leave. But if they make life difficult, if they make life hard, stay, stay. God is a supporter, a champion, a believer, an establisher of families. This text does not say that, but what it does say is that the dividing line of the cross even cuts through families and cuts through a heart itself. So, I want to conclude by saying that the cancer is being cut out, but the surgery is not fully done. The cosmic judgment happens in one of two places, the first or the second coming, either at the cross or at the consummation. The fire of judgment falls on Christ if we accept him to take that upon us, or it falls on us if we reject him. In the scorching fire of judgment, where should you stand? And I would say, which side of the guiding line do you want to be on? And I would say, you should stand where the fire is already burnt. You should stand in the shadow of the cross. Jesus has taken the judgment, and we can turn and rely on that. And there is good news and breaking news related to that. The good news, for those who want an end, to the shaky ground that our world and our nation and our family and our hearts seem to rest on, Jesus has come and is coming with healing and purifying judgment. For those who want things to be put right, evil to be punished, either at his first or second coming, justice to be done, either at his first or his second coming, cleansing to happen in the world, in the nation, in our family, in our hearts, this will be done and it will be complete. That's the good news. And this is the breaking news. And I say breaking news in quotes because it's not breaking news. It's old news. But we don't live like it's, it's old news. We seem to just sort of get distracted by the things and the messes and the conflicts and all the drama in this world. The breaking news is that Jesus is still king and that we are being ushered into an unshakable kingdom. I read you Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, this is the last verse of that, last two verses. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, how should we respond? Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, all that brokenness, all that shakiness, all that mess taken away, how should we respond? Even now, how should we respond? Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. 
We need to live a life of thankful worship for a God who is our consuming fire. Do you think of it like that? We need to live a life of thankful worship for a God who is our consuming fire. Come, Lord Jesus, come, bring all of your healing and purifying judgment. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord God and Heavenly Father, it is because you are the great surgeon that you are the only one who can redeem and heal that the shadow of the cross begins a line which divides. Father, we can respond to that in ways which set ourselves up as judge and healer, in arrogance, rather than pointing to you, rather than seeing you as that, rather than looking across that line, reaching out across that line, acting in love and compassion. But Father, we also need to be grateful that you are coming, that your consuming fire is going to clean up the mess that we've made, the mess that we've made collectively in the world, that we've made in our nation, that we've made in our societies, that we've made in our families, and that we've made in our hearts. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We love you. Amen.